Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> is this our TOB neighborhood? This we're is our entering? TOB Ask Christopher West podcast hosted by Wendy West Neighborhood. All right. Well, speaking of the podcast, Ask Christopher West hosted by Wendy West, uh, as our listeners probably know, I go through the questions, which we are so grateful that you send us. Thank you. From the get-go, we have never not had questions, so praise God for that. Oh, we have an abundance. We have questions, but but keep them keep coming. Keep them coming. Keep them keep coming. Keep them coming. Yes. I don't ever want to say that in a way That's that right. would discourage right. a questioner. Yes, Go please, ahead. please, send them. Send, send them. your questions. But I would, And as, patrons, you know that as patrons, I hope you know as patrons, that you get first dibs. Go when you submit a question, don't go to the Ask Christopher West regular website to do it. Go to your patron website. And that gets you into the patron pool of questions. And we always ask, or excuse me, we always answer a patron question first. That is correct. So as I was reading through questions for this current episode, I read one that started out um, with the questioner saying, I've been a, a listener to your podcast for several years now. And I thought, oh my goodness. Have we been doing it for several years? Right, but it has been more than... Three years. It has been more than three. That's right. Wow. Maybe not is... several, but more than three. Hey, several, I think, counts. This, this, okay. <laughs> Isn't Does that awesome? Does several count for three? So we're, Does I just three wanna... count for several? Yep. Does it really? <sighs> in my, I don't know. In my mind, several would be like six or oh, seven. come on. Few. We've been doing it for more than a few. How about that? I'm grateful to the listener yes, who has been listening for several years. I'm grateful to the Lord for giving us this opportunity that it has continued to be fruitful, that he has blessed this work. And I want to give glory and honor to him truly for any good that has come from this. Yes, Lord. Thank you. It's all his grace at work. And I'm so grateful to be in this partnership with you, my husband, with the Lord and all of you listeners we wouldn't do it if you weren't listening, so thank you. Yes, thank you, everyone. In in my travels, I meet people all the time who have been listening to our podcast, and they they especially love your contributions, Wendy, and that just tickles my heart. Mm. It really does. It's such a gift to be doing this ministry with you, my love. And with you. Thank you. Any updates from the Institute you want to share? We do have some updates from the Institute. This June, from... June 19th to the 24th, we are offering a TOB1 course that I will be teaching here in Pennsylvania. If you're out there and thinking, oh, I've always wanted to go to one of those, and well, maybe now is the time. Check mm -hmm. out the link in the show notes. Uh, I look forward to teaching that. I always look forward to teaching the June TOB1 course. We also have May 13th to the 15th, the Revealed Event. Father Mike Schmitz, Jeff Cavins, Jason Everett, Bobby and Jackie Angel, Ab Abby Ford, Damon Owens, this guy named Christopher West, never heard of him, uh, and few other speakers are coming to Black Rock Retreat Center here in Pennsylvania, where we offer our courses for a three-day event. You can attend it online for free, but there's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes action going on. Um, kind of fireside chats, informal conversations, 
that's going to be a really fun and integral part of the event. So check all of that out at the link below. It's going to be a, a life-changing event. Matt Frad also just recently agreed to participate. So he's going to be with us as well. Ready for a question? Yes, I am. This is from a patron named Marie. Hello, Marie. First, thank you for the gift of your podcast and ministry. You're welcome, Marie. I thank you for your patronage. That's right. I teach religious education at our parish and was recently going through the Stations of the Cross with my first graders. They enjoyed pointing out details of the images and discussing what was happening. In this way, one child pointed out the fact that Jesus has a loincloth on, but that the station said he was stripped of all his clothing. I responded that he was indeed stripped of all his clothing, but the artist chose to present him with a cloth on for our and the artist himself's sake. Before I could go any further, the same boy quickly replied, that's because the pirate, private parts are bad. We should never look at them. Oh, wow. In, wow. Inwardly and outwardly, I'm certain, I cringed deeply. I'm not even sure how I responded to the young boy, but I've been disturbed by it since and do believe the question should be approached again. So my question is, how do I respond to that? How do I attempt to communicate the beauty of the whole body to a young child who hears a different message at school and likely at home. And on the other side of the issue, if properly evangelized, wouldn't it be better to have crucifixes with Christ naked? I understand the need for people to understand the meaning of the body and discomfort of a naked depiction of Christ, but doesn't covering him with a loincloth simply reinforce the problem? Marie? You are a very insightful woman. Bless you, bless you. And, and I, f I can feel in my own stomach the, the, the different layers of this and, and your own reaction to it. God bless you, God bless you. I, I do think it should be addressed again, and I do think Wendy and I can shine a light on that for you. Uh, but let me first comment on, on, about, on the naked crucifix and should we have them. Ideally, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, <laughs> and there's a history of this, um, of the naked crucifix. Michelangelo has a beautiful naked crucifix that hangs to this day in a church in Italy. Uh, there have been multiple depictions of the naked Christ on the cross. This is part of the Catholic tradition. However, I, I, I of course, in our current environment, I understand why artists cover the crucified we can't handle it we're not we're not we're not ready for it we're, we don't know how to deal with it in our culture but I'll, I'll quote from a modern mystic named adrian von spire and i believe her cause is underway for canonization she's a very holy woman um she was closely related i believe she not blood relative but related with the work of hansers von balthasar i believe Yes, there, there, there was a close relationship there between Hansers von Balthasar, a, a grand theologian of the 20th century, and Adrian von Speyer. Anyway, she says that covering the crucified with a loincloth is the beginning of the church's refusal to see. And by that she means to see the mystery that is revealed through Christ's nakedness. His nakedness on the cross is theologically very significant. Uh, she goes on to say, there may well be good reason 
in our climate, cultural climate, to cover the crucified. But we must not forget his nakedness because of how important it is. Nakedness in the scripture, remember, in the beginning, before sin, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. John Paul II says this nakedness without shame is the key for understanding the original biblical vision of what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is that our humanity, our, our naked humanity, is a sign that reveals the innermost mystery of God. Not that God is sexual, God is not sexual, but our sexuality is a call to life-giving communion. And the life-giving communion of man and woman is a sign of the eternal mystery of God's own life-giving communion. Not in a sexual way, but in a divine way, the Father from all eternity is generating the Son to share with Him the love of the Holy Spirit. This mystery is what our naked humanity reveals. Sin comes into the world, and we are blind now to this mystery. And this gets to the point uh, that, that you're bringing up in your question. Why do we cover the naked body in a fallen world? This boy wrongly said, because the private parts are bad and we should never look at them. That is the Manichaean heresy, right? We do not cover our bodies, our genitals more specifically, because they are bad. We cover them because they are so good, and we feel an instinctive need to protect and honor their goodness in a fallen world that has been blinded to their goodness, to their true dignity. St. Paul puts it this way. He says, those parts of our body that we think are less honorable. So this boy, there he is, he thinks these parts of the body are less honorable. But Paul says those parts of the body we think are less honorable, these parts of the body deserve all the greater honor because these parts of the body reveal the greater glory. God has bestowed on these parts of the body the greater honor and the greater glory because these parts of the body reveal the great mystery of our call to holy communion. So the proper understanding of the covering of the body is a veiling of the holy because we can't handle the glory in our fallen humanity. And, and here we really have to examine our language, our attitudes. He picked that up somewhere. That boy picked that up somewhere. Um, you know, things like this. What do we say? You typically will knock on a bedroom door and, and, you know, maybe concerned about someone undressing. We might say, are you decent? Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. What is the only proper Catholic response to that question, even if you're butt naked? Absolutely, I'm decent. And here John Paul II is very clear. He says we must never assign evil to the body itself. What might be evil, what might be indecent, is the way someone is looking at your naked body. That's why we veil it, right? So the next time someone knocks on your door and you're undressed, don't say, hold on, let me get a bathrobe, I'm indecent. Say, rather, hold on, let me get a bathrobe, because the way you might look at my very decent nakedness might be indecent, right? That, that's assigning evil where it belongs, not in the body, but in the way someone might look at it. That's why we veil the holy. 
that would be the proper context in to speak into this question. And I do think in order to correct it for the whole class, I do think you should speak into that, that we, we cover the body not because it's bad. We cover those parts of the body because of how holy they are, because they reveal the call to holy communion. There are different ways you could go about that. And I, I want to add that I think Christopher is kind of joking a little bit about saying, literally saying that to someone who knocks on your door. It's kind of a mouthful. And it's yeah, no, it's, it's making just, a theological yes, point. Just just for our own inner understanding of, of what the true state of our world is. And we are in a fallen world. Can't avoid that. Um, there, there are a couple of ways I think you could go about this, and it's it's wonderful with children to kind of present um, a story and help them just to enter into it and start to make connections. So um, a story that you could share with them would be the story of Adam and Eve's yeah. creation and living in the garden, there and, and it's in the scripture, they were naked and were not ashamed. Um to just see what what the kids um, would say about that. Like, maybe they'll make the connection themselves in conversation. Um, another possibility would be the story of when Moses' face was so glorious yeah. that he had to have a veil over it because the Israelites couldn't look at it. Um, so, yeah, just that ability to present something that touches the heart, even the hearts of children that can kind of reach in that deeper place that needs to be reached in these kids. That's a great idea, Wendy. Story always conveys a truth more than just a, a direct yes. teaching on it, especially to children. Yeah. And it reminds me of a story of a, a school teacher. She was a student of mine years ago, and she told me the story. It, oh, it's always stayed with me. I found it so beautiful and healing for myself. She was a teacher at a, a public school, I believe, and I think she was teaching third graders, and they were in the library, and these third grade boys had grabbed a National Geographic with pictures of, you know, native peoples mm -hmm. uh, in various states of, you know, primitive dress or undress, bare-breasted women, and these boys had grabbed this magazine and ran, they ran over into a corner and we're kind of huddled around looking at at these these bare-breasted women in the National Geographic. And she wondered, she saw a little commotion over there. She went over to see what was going on. And the boys were just shamefaced as she approached and tried to pretend nothing was going on. And and she looked down and saw the magazine. And she just prayed in that moment, Lord, tell me what this is say. Mm -hmm. And she said, Aren't those people beautiful? Mm. Isn't it amazing how beautiful the human body is and how God made it or something like that? Mm -hmm. And she said the whole tone of what was going on in that corner changed and it was no longer taboo and there was a context in which to understand it and talk about it. And oh man, I wish I had <laughs> I wish I had had a teacher like that because I, you just get a different message, you know, you get it's so easy to fall into that manichean mentality of the body is bad. Uh, we obviously have to help children to view the body correctly. Uh, we can't just pretend, you know, it's it's harmless um, to be looking at naked bodies because there's there's a risk that we would 
lust and treat the body in a degrading way. So there's nuance required in all of this, but the general disposition should be an education in the goodness of the body, the dignity of the body, the holiness and the sacredness of the body. And that can foster and does foster a proper sense of protecting that goodness. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for saying yes to God and spreading John Paul II's incredible teaching on theology of the body. I have felt called to marriage for years, but it has been frustrating finding a man in my own church and age group who loves the Lord as I do. It seems that many guys who are more spiritually mature become priests, while the rest do not want to commit to a long-term relationship. I strongly desire to be with someone because one of my love languages is physical touch. Do you have any advice for me? Dear sister, bless you. Bless you. I just want to reverence that ache for a husband, for a man in the flesh to love you, to embrace you, to bear children with, to raise a family with. That is a gloriously wonderful, noble human desire, and it needs to be reverenced. Uh, so I reverence it. Thank you, Lord, for our dear sister's longing for a husband. You, Lord, you, Lord, have put that in her heart. Mm. We ask, Lord, that if it be your will, that our dear listener would find the man that you have prepared for her. Yes. I don't have any crystal ball. I don't know that that's the Lord's will for your life. Uh, but I do know this. We are passing through a time in history in which many, many people, men and women, long to be married and are unable to find someone to marry precisely because of an all-out diabolical attack. And I don't mean diabolical metaphorically. I, I mean it quite directly and literally. There is an enemy, the diabolic one, uh, the devil, who hates, hates God's plan for making us male and female and calling the two to become one flesh. And he has been mounting a violent attack against the meaning of marriage in the modern world. And you have countless men and women who have absorbed these lies, have been immersed in this pornographic vision of the human body and human sexuality, which is absolutely antithetical to married love. And they have, they have chosen, in the metaphor that I often use, they have chosen the fast food over the banquet. We are invited to a, a wedding feast, a banquet, a wedding banquet, and for lack of knowledge of this banquet or for sloth, laziness, not wanting to sacrifice, thinking what I can get over here, fast food, I call it fast food because it offers immediate gratification. Uh, without effort, without sacrifice, I get the pleasure. That vision is antithetical to the sacrificial love required of, of marriage. So we live in a time, we live in an age where there are people like you, our dear sister, asking this question, who long to find a husband. And because so many men and women, but in this case we're speaking of, of men, 
in your situation, men have been swept away by this lie, and they are not marriageable material. And I, I, I will say to women often, this is typically when I'm, I'm signing books at an event or something, and uh, I'll, I'll say to, to single women, you are made for real love, and you will be happier remaining single your whole life than settling for a man who doesn't want to live this with you. And then I'll always add, be merciful to men, just as men must be merciful to you. There's no perfect man out there. Uh, but at a bare minimum, do not settle for a man who isn't committed to learning what it means to live the truth. There will be struggles enough, even with a man who's committed to living and wanting to learn how to live that truth. I know that from our own experience, Wendy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I am, I've, I've committed my life to really wanting to know this and live this, and man, man, <laughs> it has not been easy. It is, and I know I've hurt you in countless ways in my broken humanity, but again, we are made for the real deal, and in, on that note, Dear listener, the real deal for which you are made, you will not find in this life. No one does. I am not the real deal for Wendy. The real deal for you, Wendy, is Jesus Christ, the true bridegroom. At most, at best, I can be some kind of sign, some kind of sacrament of Christ to you. That's the best I can possibly be, but I cannot be what you're really ultimately looking for. What you are ultimately looking for is your bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And I, I rejoice as I see you coming closer and closer to him, Wendy. I, I got this little spring in my step just recently as, as I've seen growth in your heart and, and new openness to Jesus in your life, Wendy, and, and new... Just you, I see you on your journey, and it, and it delights me that you're growing closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's what you are destined for. And you, dear listener, who have asked this question, that ache, which I said earlier, just should be reverenced because it's sacred and holy. Ultimately, that ache is not for an earthly spouse. Ultimately, that ache is for your heavenly spouse, Jesus Christ. And true intimacy with Him is available to you now. That intimacy is called prayer. It's called the sacraments. And, and I can almost imagine some of our listeners right now kind of rolling their eyes, like, okay, here comes that pious lecture on <laughs> what we really want is heaven, and, but I want somebody with flesh on right here, right now. Mm. There will be, and Jesus himself speaks to this, for those who remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom. John Paul II says he does not seek to hide the travail that that entails. There is a travail entailed in, in not being married in this life because, like this is again a quote from JP2, the normal and noble vocation of the human being is marriage. When Jesus speaks of those who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it's a very kind of visceral, even bloody image. A eunuch is someone unable to have sexual intercourse 
to make yourself a eunuch, I mean, he's speaking of castration in some sense here. He's, he's being kind of cheeky. I mean, he's like, uh, there are eunuchs made so by men, there are eunuchs from birth, and then there are those who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. John Paul commenting on this, make yourself a eunuch. He, he's, JP2 says that Jesus here is not hiding from his listeners, that for those who remain celibate for the kingdom, there will be a travail, there will be a real bleeding, there will be a real sacrifice but that sacrifice itself, and, and let's just suppose this woman who's asked this question never finds a husband. I hope she does. Please, Lord, if it be your will, let it be. But it is possible in this broken world in which so many men are swept up in porn, women as well, but I'm, I'm trying to speak into this particular woman's heart here, so many men been, have been influenced by the culture and they are not marriageable material. Offering that sacrifice, that, that bleeding of your heart for the men who have been swept away by this culture, and maybe even, maybe, let's just suppose, perhaps, you are meant to be married, but that man has been swept away by these diabolic lies and is not marriageable. You could offer your bleeding heart for him. And that could lead to him getting to heaven. And that could lead on the other side to you knowing this man and this man knowing you in an intimacy that is beyond what you could dream or imagine right now. The intimacy of the communion of saints that's offered to us all. These are real things. Uh, it's not just a pious idea that the real marriage we desire is the marriage with Christ in the church where we participate in the communion of saints. That's what we really, really long for. And prayer in this life can, can really open the window into those mysteries, and you can taste them here and now. I'm going to ask St. Teresa of Avila, who's one of the greatest examples in the tradition of a woman who knew and lived these nuptials here on earth. She tasted them here on earth. St. Teresa of Avila, I ask you please to intercede for the dear woman who asked this question, yes. that she would come to know what you came to know here on earth, the experience of nuptial union with eternal love, with the eternal bridegroom. Catherine of Siena comes to mind as another great example. Catherine of Siena, pray for our dear sister yes. that she would know that that noble, beautiful desire for a husband is the stuff of which a deep, intimate prayer life is made as those longings are opened to the true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Hmm. I just want to add here that anytime we are kind of longing for a relationship that isn't in our lives, the evil one will tempt us with kind of accusations, with thoughts, does this mean I'm not lovable? Yes. Does this mean I'm not desirable? Does this mean I'm not doing something right? You know, and it, it's really helpful when you take this kind of thing to prayer that you believe and trust the Lord loves you as you are. You are not coming to the one who wants to tell you you've 
you know, it's your own fault. You're coming to one who wants to just receive your heart, your goodness, your beauty, and embrace it and let you know how beautiful and lovable you are so that this time of your life, this time of singlehood, the Lord knows its limits and we do not, but that it would not seem a waste at all, but a fruitful garden of just awesome gifts coming into the world through your yes to the love of Jesus. So that's my prayer for you. As you were saying that, Wendy, I had a, a, a kind of image, if you will, of this dear woman's heart, and I saw it as a bridal heart, and I saw it was bleeding. Mm. And then there's a corresponding image of the bridegroom in his bleeding heart, where your bleeding heart opens to meet his bleeding heart, which is bleeding for your bleeding heart. That is the place of a profound and rightly called spousal intimacy with Jesus. Be not afraid to let his blood bleed into your blood and your blood bleed into his in your bridal heart. Our next question is from a listener named John. Hello, John. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. My wife and I attended a Made for More event near Chicago yesterday. Wow. And it was awesome and inspiring. So glad. I've been really enjoying your podcast for months, and now I've subscribed as a patron. By the way, John, you could submit your question on the patron page, but that's okay. We'll receive it however you submit it. Anyway. Thank you, John, for subscribing as yes. a patron. And thanks for coming to the Made for More. I just got back yesterday. From, <laughs> as we're recording as this. As we're recording right. this, yes. Uh, recently, the gospel reading at Mass recounted the scribes and Pharisees bringing to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Jesus responds by bending down and writing on the ground with his finger. I was always mystified by this. But this time when I heard the reading, it really hit me. I had a half-baked thought I'm hoping you can help to untangle. The idea was Jesus was not avoiding their challenge, but answering it directly with the image of the word made flesh descending from heaven to write his word on the heart of sinful man. Mm. Man being made from the dirt on which Jesus condescends to write. And where the accusers reach to the ground for stones to condemn and kill, Jesus reaches to the ground to show mercy, to transform the heart and give oh, life. Oh, man. Yes. Wow, John. Can you share any insights you may have on this perspective? John, I just want to receive the insight that you just gave me. I don't, I, I don't want to say much. I, I just want to receive. That is awesome. Mm. That whoo, that is powerful, brother. I I <laughs> I love what you said. You've been mystified by that that scene of him drawing in the dirt, and uh, that's the right word, mystified. And what I think is happening, John, it's clear that you have held that kind of mystification, that place of being mystified. You've held that in your heart. And it sounds to me like you've held it in your heart over many years. Mm. And it sounds like you're holding that in your heart for, for many years is bearing this beautiful fruit. Like I, I'm getting a, a, like a little lump in my throat right now, just thinking of how that seed 
has blossomed in your heart, John. And I just want to say, wow, I really want to take to prayer what you just shared, because I find it very profound. Christ writing in the earth, writing in the dirt, writing his word. I mean, this is a symbol, and there's no doubt of it in my mind as you put this in the light with me, John, that that is a symbol of the incarnation itself, that the earth has opened and received, uh, the, the earth itself has, has had the word of, of God inscribed in it. Mm. Man, that is powerful. <laughs> Jesus writing in the dirt is a symbol of the sacramentality of creation, that all of creation itself already proclaims the word uh, of God. It's astounding that you, you, you have seen that in the scriptures, and, and contrasting that also, so powerful. Uh, Christ writes or bows down or bends down to, to write in the dirt his word, which is love and mercy, whereas we are in our broken humanity, the, symbolized by the Pharisees here, we bend down to pick up stones of condemnation. Wow. Mm. I don't want to say anything else. I just want to praise the Lord that you had that insight and you shared it with us, and we got to share it with our listeners because I think you're spot on. It's powerful, beautiful, rich. Thank you, John. I love that answer, and I love John's insight. It's a beautiful, beautiful story from the gospel. Yes, we can relate to the Pharisees wanting to stone this woman, wanting to have just get out their anger toward another human being. Lord, have mercy on me and on every one of us who have ever done that. Mm. Um, but we can also relate to the woman, you know, coming before Jesus and experiencing not her death, but her new life and her just encountering what real love is, how transformed she must have been as she walked away. So thank you for calling all of that to mind with what you shared, John. And I just want to say again, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us, for reflecting together with us on how uh, incredible it is that God has made each one of us from his heart of love, made us, we're made by love and for love to be a gift. Become what you are. Hey, we switched it up. <laughs> Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.